the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Well, this is the uh, new experiment for the podcast. I'm calling it the the car cast. (laughs) It is the uh, Stars won 3-1 tonight against the Arizona Coyotes, and uh, you are now riding shotgun with uh, Owen Newkirk and I as uh, we leave American Airlines Center. Yeah, more uh, more riding cup holder, as I have the passenger seat, but yes, nonetheless, um, if you hear us screaming in uh, fright or agony, it's probably because of Sean's driving abilities, but we'll try to ignore that as much as possible. We avoided the uh, tractor trailer earlier that would have, that tried to kill us, so I think we're uh, 1-0 for the night already. Uh, you can't call it a loss, that's for sure. True. So... Stars win 3-1 to one tonight, and it was a game that, obviously, you take the results, but probably, uh, obviously not their best game of the season. I think, actually, it was one of their worst, yet they won, and that's kind of the irony of the first six games, is that they've played better and not gotten the results, and the, the perfect example is opening night against Vegas. They completely outplayed them for the most part, couldn't score, Marc-Andre Fleury was excellent, and tonight, uh, Aiden Hill had a great game, but he was not close to Marc-Andre Fleury levels. That's not fair to put on a 21-year-old playing his first ever NHL game versus a Stanley Cup winner. But I don't think the Stars are going to be particularly pleased with how they played, but they will be pleased with the result because it doesn't matter how, it's just the how many and two points or two points. And that was a game, too, where you can we can uh, nitpick and we will talk a bit about just things that didn't go well um, but that was a game where this team last year doesn't win the, that game, and that's a positive takeaway from this. It's been, um, well, they didn't play as well as they should have throughout the game. They went into the third period with the lead. They didn't blow the lead. They killed the only two uh, power play opportunities of the game for Arizona, and they had both both their defense and their goalie made the plays they needed to late in the game, and that was something that was the opposite for this team last year when it was not a good hockey team and they would make mistakes and late in the third period if it was a close game we kind of felt like the other team was going to score to tie it up sooner than later right and one of the things the stars did was they really suffocated the coyotes in the last five to seven minutes or so as far as not giving up any quality scoring chances i didn't have any during that period of time and my unofficial tracker that I keep track of for my own benefit and for the broadcast on the on the Stars radio on the ticket. And I just, I think that's a big difference because Dallas Stars hockey before have always been so much focused on trying to score goals and be offensive, which is a really fun style of hockey. But situationally seeming to already have a lot more awareness where you don't necessarily have to be entertaining. You want to make sure you usher in that win. And and save for a couple of hiccups in the earlier part of the third period, the, the power plays, and then, of course, the one turnover, uh, Klingberg trying to stick handle through the neutral zone that led to, I believe it was Derek Stepan's shot yeah. uh, that hit the, the, hit the, the post. left post. I mean, if, if you don't, uh, Hitch was not happy about that in his postgame remarks, saying, there's no reason for that. You have a one-goal lead. We don't have to try that play. We can play simple and safe. And I think that's a lesson that they're going to keep hammering home for a really long time this year. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a good teaching moment for the team too because it's it's it makes it a teaching moment when you win a game when when they've yes. won and they can move into playing. They played the same team on Thursday actually in Arizona when in, in a uh, 
bit of a what feels like almost like a minor league schedule to me, where you play the same team back to back, not back to back with a day in between, but a home and home. Right. Um, so you have it becomes a teaching moment, and it becomes a setting where you can take that forward and you can learn from that mistake, and it didn't cost you the two points. And that's that's one of the bigger things you take away from this game. Um, another thing, and you mentioned him at the start, and we, I think we have to talk a little bit more. And uh, I had him, and I, I picked the three stars tonight, and I had him as the second star of the night. Um, in, uh, in Aiden Hill, the, the goalie for Arizona, Antiranta is hurt, and so unavailable. They had uh, Louis Domingue, who has not played well this season. And granted, the entire Coyotes team hasn't played well in front of him, but give the, they give the kid a star. He has his uh, all of his family's there, um, including uh, he, he talked about after the game even his nine-year-old brother who's still playing hockey. So, <laughs> so it was kind of a, it was a cool moment for the whole family to be there, and, uh, and he plays well. He has uh, I think I mean the Spezza he makes this breakaway save on Spezza. I thought his best save of the night was the left pad save on Alexander Radulov. Those are the later part of the first period. Yes, and uh, there's a Ben made the pass to Sagan and Sagan entered the zone and. Uh, he went uh, from his right to left, made a nice left pad save. Yes, he did. And uh, this this isn't a Coyotes podcast, but it was a. Uh, it sounds a, like it. It's <laughs> no, no, but, no. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Hill, Hill was very good. Um, I think there's a bit of sentimentality in your second start, Honor. I think he was good, and certainly didn't do anything horribly wrong. I think that the first goal, he did make the save on the wraparound from Yanmark. I thought he was a little over enthusiastic and maybe a bit out of position on a couple of times in the first period. I don't know if the Coyotes will be too upset with the Fox goal because it was a rebound and the defense didn't tie Fox up. On but the Fox on the Fox goal, yes, but on the Fox that wasn't the greatest. And then I thought that he got very lucky in the second period as he on a stick handling play almost gave Jamie Ben an empty net goal. That's true. That's Those were his two big blunders. Everything else was fine. Oh, but it, I mean the Hamuse shot was a one timer on a post to post. Can't fault him there. But I don't know if he was. I mean he got the loss which is more on his team than him. But I don't know if he really, uh, again, for me, I don't know if he outplayed uh, Bishop or outplayed Pitlick tonight to get the second star, in my opinion. So I'll give you a little uh, devil's advocate just to make this podcast or podcast yeah. interesting. Well, it, and I I actually, coming down... By the way, Bruce chirped you on our post-game show about it, too. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> he said, and he actually deferred, and we'll, we'll derail our comment here for a moment, uh, in saying that he's less inclined to give a hard time to the elder statesmen uh, in the group, Mark Zebneski, Mike Heike, Scott Burnside, and so you're the target of his affections. And I said on the air that that's not fair because all three of those guys would hesitate none whatsoever at chirping Bruce, so I said it should be open season because that's kind of the spirit of our group. And to be fair, I mean, <laughs> I, that doesn't surprise me at all that I that I received uh, some comments from Bruce on that. Well, you reciprocated the other night. I did, correct, I did. I mean, that was... So, uh, there you have it. So, each of you are disappointed with each other's three-star performance. Yes, and I, <laughs> for, for those who don't know, real quick, and I'm not, it's the three-star selection actually is made with seven minutes left in the game. It's too early. Um, and it's seven minutes left in the game, and it's something where... So sometimes if you see a guy who has... See someone who gets that second goal 
with two minutes left in the game. How about second points? Second points. Yeah. gets an assist, so he's got two points. Exactly. It changes things because you did it at 2-1, not 3-1. Exactly. And, it, and when it was 2-1... Would that have been enough for you? Um, I probably... I, Ham Hughes may have jumped in there. I would have been, frankly, at that point in the game, I'm furiously adding the Radulov goal to my game story to file on deadline. However... It's very tricky because it, ideally three stars would be picked after the final yes. horn... And then they can grab the players, but from a logistical standpoint, and again, we're getting off topic yeah. here, but it's hard for the game ops folks to grab the players as they are leaving the game to say, hey, you have to go back out for yeah. a three stars when they don't already know who they're picking. And but so, sometimes it's hard to, to make that choice because you go to overtime, you go to a shootout, you have to kind of be flexible, but it's hard. And you have to and you have to go through and you sometimes give secondary options. For example, on a night like tonight. Contingencies. Contingen I had a contingency where I handed in the three stars where with stars win and, and then a list that said otherwise where I had hill, <laughs> where I had hill number one because if he had won his first NHL game and right. I, it would have, he would have been involved and then I would have had, then I had uh, Fox, then I had Fox at two, and then I just had a game-winning goal listed as three. Just you got as chaos there, because that would have been chaos if Arizona came back to win. But my three-star selection from seven minutes left in the game would have had to stand. So that's how that works. Um, no, not making excuses. Five minutes later, I know. <laughs> Anywho, off of uh, off of three stars, back yes. to the uh, to the stars. I know you talked about this on the post-game show. And we talked about this right before we got in the car. Stars going to Arizona now on Thursday, and if they were four and two, or even five and one, and not three and three, I think it would be a lock for Kari Lennon to start that game. With them being three and three, and how they played, it starts to become interesting. With do you then Bishop play him again, and then I play him against Carolina and kind of ride him until that back to back at the end of the month, or is it important to get Kari a game before? and not have him sit for three weeks? The answer is yes to both, and that's yes. the hardest part. And It's where the coaching staff is really going to have to get a read on the team because uh, while they don't want Kari to have to come in and play a game in, let's say, Calgary. It's the second night of a back-to-back. -back. They'll be in Edmonton the night before in a little over a week. The They don't want him having to do that, having not played since the opening weekend. That would be almost three weeks. But on the flip side... As well as he played in the preseason, Kari did not look great in the third period when he came on in relief, which is admittedly a tough thing to do after being cold for most of the night to come on and try to beat Vegas. And they had the lead, obviously. They, Vegas tied it and got the win. And, but it's the same token, um, he didn't look all that great against St. Louis the next night. Um, it wasn't terrible. But the problem is, and this, goes, this kind of harkens back to... Dallas Stars of recent history where Kari was the starter and played well, but they couldn't get a decent effort out of their backup goaltender, and they went through quite a list trying to figure out who could be the guy that plays every once every couple of weeks and plays consistently, and the team feels okay in front of them, and uh, boy, that's where the balancing act is because you want to get Kari another game, and there's no reason that he can't go into Arizona and win. He's done it on many occasions, but... The difference between three and four and four and three is very much important at this point because everything is a little bit over magnified because everybody else, you know, teams are off to good starts. Colorado's gotten some wins. Uh, Chicago's up to a, a quick start. Nashville's ahead of you. So suddenly you say, well, we got to keep up. 
and it's you know you get get a bit, uh, tough effort from your goalie one night, like the St. Louis game for example, and the coaches go, well, let's keep riding the hot hand, and they have a day off in between. No reason you can't go with Bishop, but that's I don't know. I guess Bruce or Bruce was saying this, and and on our show, our post game show, and I I agree with you that this would be a good opportunity to put Kari in the net. But I think I would go with Ben Bishop because you really need to keep this role going right now. And I would, I, I agree with you on that too. I would play Ben Bishop. It's something where, if you're, as I said, kind of I'm not. And by it. the way, I'm not saying that I think that Kari can't go get the win. Yeah. I just think that uh, Bishop has just been fat. He's so calm. And you heard Hitch say tonight, it's not about his calmness. It's about how much he competes. Well, I think calmness actually makes a big yeah. deal too. And in the confidence the team gets from playing in front of him, we've yes. seen that, and that's something it's that noticeable. It's it's, it's 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 something that I think is important. And, and you mentioned about getting behind the eight ball, and you always talk about it's early in the season, it's early in the season. But there's the old cliche in hockey, and it's actually it rings true quite often that the standings at Thanksgiving often reflect the standings in April. Right. There's usually one or two exceptions, yes. but most of the teams that are in a playoff position by the end of, of November typically are still in the mix. Now, in the last couple of years, there's been one or two or three teams a year that go on a run and get in that weren't at Thanksgiving time. But the vast majority are in place, maybe not the final standings, but they're in that group of 16 teams that make the playoffs. So I don't think that that kind of a sort of tradition, if you want to call it, is something to poo-poo because it really is... Uh, a, a stepping stone of, you know what, when you're in the lead and you have a little bit of a setback, it's easier to, to, to stay with the pack. If you're clinging to that group, just trying to stay with, in touch with the playoff groups, and you have a hiccup, then you're behind, and that's very, especially as you get a lot of three-point games later in the year, it's so hard to make up ground. And one of the elements that comes into this game Thursday, um, not only, so we we would both agree you would play Bishop. But one thing that we that has been known, and, and, and Hitch uh, reaffirmed this yesterday, said this before the morning skate today, and he talked about Jamie Alexiak is going to get back in the lineup yeah. on Thursday. And that creates a very interesting defensive dynamic because who do you take out? Because right now we obviously know your top pairing is Mark Mathot and John Klingberg, and they've started to find a bit of chemistry together. They're, I think it's going to take more time before they yes, get yeah. to their full potential, but, but yes. They're starting to find a little bit of chemistry. Mark Mathot has told me quite a few times that it takes him, it takes a defensive pair realistically five, six games at least to, to Several get... weeks, yes, he usually says, yeah. Yeah, to, to, to get going. So to ask them to be where they need to, where you... To ask him to be John Klingberg, to ask him to be like he was with Eric Carlson right now is just unrealistic. Right. Um, but So we know they are going to be in, obviously. Uh, be in, obviously. Uh, even if they're not paired together, they're in. Um, we know. We also know after the game tonight, so I asked <laughs> we, I asked about Dan Hamhuis, what he thought of Dan Hamhuis' game. Because tonight was, goal aside, I thought tonight was Dan Hamhuis' best game of the season, even yeah, if he doesn't score the goal. I thought he really struggled against Colorado. He did. Coming back in. Now, granted, he had played in a couple of games and was coming off of uh, groin injury, but he definitely showed a step up improvement from Saturday's game. Yeah, and, and unsolicited after that question, <laughs> um, during that question, actually, Ken Hitchcock went out and said and pointed out how uh, how good the uh, how good his partner Stephen Johns had been. Johns was excellent, and so then when we asked, so how does this make your how does this impact your decision? He says, well, it doesn't impact my decision at all. That's right because. Ham, Hughes, and Johns are not in the group that are being considered for the scratch. 
that means means either Essa Lindell or Julius Honker being are, are being considered for the scratch. Based off track record and recent play and uh, and recent comments, you would think that would mean Lindell is still in and Honka would be out. However, based off tonight, Honka was very good. Honka is still getting that second power play unit time. The second power play unit still has to click a little bit more, but he's getting that time. And Lindell wasn't bad tonight, but he wasn't good. And see, I, I, I see that very differently. I think that this is all about Julius Honka. Now, I'm not saying that he deserves to come out of the lineup because I think when you see a few mistakes here and there, that's grow, the growing pains that you that he needs to do to get better. He can't do it just by watching. Now, he can sit out a game and look, and you can say, hey, lay, you know, we'll learn a few things here and there. But ultimately, he has to play, whether it's limited minutes or, or a lot of minutes, to get better. He has to play at this level to get used to this level. He's not going to do that by just watching. But I absolutely think that, that when he said that Hamus and Johns are not on the radar, that he's talking about Yulis Haga. Because this morning, at the morning skate, he said, you know, oh, he talk, he, yes. he's talking about competing. Yeah, Alexiak is going to be in, and we'll see who does it. I thought that was a bottom three. I think the top three is pretty solid right now. Yes. I thought Klingberg, Lindell, not necessarily in that order, mm -hmm. but that they they are the guys that are the go-to minute munchers and that the guys that were battling tonight were Honka, Johns, Hamus. Now, it said clearly Hamus and Johns were not on the radar, so I think he's talking about Honka. I would not at all be surprised if we saw either Lindell, Alexiak, or a combination. But I think Honka and or, uh, excuse me, Hamus and Johns have been uh, forming some work there, so I'd like to see them stay together. But the question is, can Jamie Alexiak play second pair of minutes because they started this year doing that, but it hasn't quite been, um, it hasn't quite been what we've been hyped up about just yet for him. Yeah, and you basically got to the point I was going to get to. Where <laughs> I was going to come to the point that while that left Lindell and Honka as the two that were in the conversation, really it's Honka is the one who is probably going to be scratched. Um, I think it has to be. It, yes, well, yeah. no, don't get me wrong. I don't think it has, has to be, be, but I think that, that if they don't think that there's anything to change of the uh, Hamus-Johns pairing mm -hmm. at the moment, which could change, but, you know, at least for now, then I think that the only one they're looking at is Honka. And I agree with that. And, uh, I mean, Hamus and Johns, they've had their struggles this season. Tonight they were very good. I thought they were good tonight. It was a uh, overall the team did not it was interesting because from to the team on a whole there wasn't the energy you liked throughout the whole game. But oh, I, the start was the worst. Yes. I, honestly, it's only game six, mm -hmm. but the, the Dallas Stars starts have been pretty good. Mm -hmm. I thought their Nashville start was very good. Their yes. whole first period and then things kind of went downhill, but they have not had a decent start, or they, they have not had bad starts for the most part. Maybe they haven't been able to put the puck in the net to get something to show for it, but they've been uh, heavy puck possession, heavy pressure, good in the forecheck, lots of speed early in games. Tonight was not that even Antoine Roussel's fight didn't really get them going. Fox, uh, thanks to some speed from Yanmark and Fox's persistence, they get an early goal, but it wasn't a great first period for them. No, it wasn't, and... 
the uh, and maybe it's, it's funny. I, I wrote about this today, or yeah, I wrote about this actually today, talking about fights and, and what's what's a good fight, what's a bad fight, things like that. That was the first fight the Stars have had this season. Where you know what? That's a trade you'd actually take. It was where you're talking about the, the trade off of well, which players which, come yes. off the ice for five minutes. Yes, fair and, enough. And it was something where it was. It was an opportunity for a fight for a Stars team to respond to the energy, and they didn't really do anything with it. It was... Um, no, the next shift wasn't any better. No, it wasn't. But, to be fair, there I mean, there are two teams on the ice, and as we always say, the other team gets paid two, and they're trying to win. Um, I, I actually think that the Coyotes just had a better start. It was... Uh, they're, they're a team that got called out a little bit by their head coach. Rick Tockett said after their uh, big... 6-2, to two, as he called it, embarrassing loss to Boston at home on Saturday, that he questioned their composure in panic and saying that they were panicking a bit when the pressure rises, and uh, I think they had something to prove, so I think they're a young team that, and especially up front, they're, they have a lot of young forwards, they had a very young goaltender tonight, yes. but the forwards are where their issues are. I think that their defense, albeit maybe a little shaken up with the injury to, to Chikrin, their young first-rounder, and and maybe some pairing swappings. Remember, Connaughton was coming off yes. a couple of games injured. But once they get that continuity going, they have a, a very experienced blue line. No, and their defense could be very good. I mean, you have uh, the between uh, half of their defense tonight was former stars, and obviously yeah. Connaughton and... and uh, Shen. Uh, Goligoski. Well, Shen, and, not a star, yes, but yeah. experienced. Yes, and if Goligoski's experienced. Kevin Connaughton has, uh, has, has, he's been around the block in the NHL too. And it's, yep. It's, and so they have a. What about the, what about the top pairing with Ekman Larson and, and Nicholas Jalmerson? I mean, that's it's, two pretty accomplished Swedish defensemen playing together. Yes. Speaking of which, and, and I, and speaking of, uh, of Ekman Larson. There's the whole, and something I don't understand from tonight, there's the whole, we go through all of the preseason, all of the season, talking about how slashing is going to be called. Mm -hmm. And if a guy taps a guy in the gloves during the course of play, it's a it's a penalty now. Where So, after a whistle tonight, when Alexander Radulov and Ekman Larson get into a bit of a shoving match near the crease, the shoving match ends with Larson taking kind of a half two-handed swing at him yes. and, and hitting him. And I still don't, I just don't understand how that's not, and I know you don't have an answer. But I don't. <laughs> no, this would be a rhetorical yeah, rant. But I don't understand how that is not a slash if we're going to talk about every single tap on the gloves and every single time that you're making contact with a guy in the neutral zone becomes a slash. But when a guy actually rears back and does something, and you could argue, Radulov, you could argue either player could have gotten a rough on the play, you could have made it, but the fact that something like that you can do something they made like a point to to call slashing in a much tighter way manner which i'm fine with but you're right it seems to be not inconsistent with the standard they've been trying to set and we've seen a couple of quote-unquote slashes that have been really minimal if any contact called uh against the stars and also around the league where teams have been very questioning i saw one of on tarasenko which mm -hmm. I don't even know if he actually made contact with the guy. Um, and we've seen a couple of stars ones where that's the case where you go, wow, is that even a penalty if he didn't really make do any slashing motion? Now, this was on the other end. This was clearly one that just was missed. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Radulov, for segues here, right. um, I know it's an empty net goal, but I think him finally getting on the board could be a nice boost for him. Um, it's something where 
I was talking. You'd have to break the dam even with an ugly one, like, right? I think I don't know if you were there with me when I was talking to Brett Ritchie the other day about it. Who's still looking for that first one, by the way? Uh, but where Brett Ritchie was telling me, once you get that first one, it just becomes so much easier. And right. And we saw it's like the, you remember how to score a goal again. We saw the other two thirds of that line. Ben and Sagan have their goals or have their first goals already, and now he gets that first one, and that can be. It's a simple empty net goal, but that could be nice confidence boost for him going forward. And it, it gets a kind of he's no longer we're not getting into game seven, eight, nine, ten where he's still looking for his first goal as a right. star. Now it would be nice to see him capitalize on one of the many. He's had some great chances already, but you're right. Uh, it can be ugly. Sometimes they say you want a greasy goal, one that bounces off your backside or off a tip or a foot or wherever and goes into the net. Empty netter is no different in that regard. So it's nice to say. He no longer is chasing his first goal in victory green. Uh, Hansel did that in the same fashion against Detroit, so that's good. Uh, I hope so because Radulov continues to put himself in great positions and really do some wonderful things uh, all over the ice. He's really a fun player to watch because of his energy too. And uh, I just we'll have to see if, if it can translate because it could open up the, the floodgates, so to speak. Yeah. Well, it's... And on top, I mean, there's a couple... One last thing I want to touch on, and we talked a little about Bishop already, but I want to just close this, close down the podcast with this. Carcast. Carcast with this. Um, (laughs) It was... I may have touched on it earlier, but Bishop... We we saw the stretch passes and the things that were starting to come together in the last game against... uh, in the, in, the, in the game on Saturday when they won 3-1, to one, and where Bishop was making those long passes and the Stars weren't ready for it. Yes. Tonight, we saw instances where they were ready for it, and while it didn't lead to any goals or any, any direct points directly, it's a weapon that is particularly effective in the second period during the long change, where the other team casts to respect it, and a couple times tonight I noticed it where it... It messed with Arizona's changes, where yes. they had to, they could not make a change because of it, and it becomes a weapon that other teams are obviously going to scout as well. So it's something that other teams are going to know about now more. But it's a part of the Stars' arsenal with Bishop that I think just adds another element to the team that you can't ignore right now. And one of the things it becomes particularly effective is on the Stars' power play, trying to up, especially in the second period. We saw him do that during the five on three, where. And actually, give Patrick Nemeth of the now of the Colorado Avalanche a lot of credit. He did some incredible work on that five on three defensively. They go to try to get a change. He recognizes that they're going to be that Bishop's making that play, and turns and just huffs it back to to deny what would have been basically a breakaway, and, and help them eventually get out of that five on three unscathed. So teams will not be able to get that long changed guy off. The Stars didn't have a power play <laughs> after the Demers call in the first period. So they only had one all night. So that may it may be more situational because five on five, yes you can do that but it depends yeah. on how much open ice it is but especially with a man up or two because he can go get the puck that's iced down by the penalty killers of the opposition and put it basically back at the far blue line again. It's, uh, it's a good weapon to have. It, it's a good weapon to have, and it's 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 nice to see. It's it's kind of nice to see something talked about and and then worked on and worked and then and then work the next game. That that's yes. that's kind of something that's nice to see, and it's nice to see progress like that. One of the things I think too is that if teams start to respect that more, then that's going to either mean that they can't 
make the change, and so then you get a benefit of a tired defensive or penalty killing group, or there may be a, a trickle down of other dominoes that fall because they now start to respect that stretch pass more. And if they don't, then they're going to get burned by it. If they do, maybe they get end up scoring because the group doesn't get a line change. Well, speaking of progress, um, good car cast. Not bad. Not uh, bad. First run. Right? First run. We'll Probably see. have a few kinks to yeah, iron we'll, out. We'll see how it goes. And try not to get hit by another semi. Yes. Tractor well, we, truck. We survived. Um, Tractor trailer. We survived, and this solved my problem of not having a post-game show to listen to, since every time I leave the rink, there's no post-game show since well, it's it, over. I'm usually either in the car with you, or we've already finished the post-game show, so yeah. It definitely helped pass the time on the drive home, so that's a plus. So if anybody enjoys listening to us ramble back and forth, then at least it helped. If nothing else, it helped kill a little bit of late-night traffic. Yes. So we'll see how it comes out, and uh, maybe it'll return soon, hopefully.